You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Hear now the word of the Lord from Luke 12, 49-53. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it would already be kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother in law against her daughter in law, and daughter in law against mother in law. The word of the Lord. Well, I have a secret I guess I should just let out of the bag, which is someday um, I am going to learn to play banjo. I'm serious. I have been thinking about it for a while. I desperately want to do it. A bunch of people play guitar. How many people you know play banjo? Not a lot. It looks, it's just it's fun. It looks fun. Now, I, I can't play banjo. I don't know the first thing about playing banjo yet, though someday I hope to. And the reason I can't play banjo is, is not really because I'm lazy or not really because I just sort of, you know, just keep putting it off, keep putting it off. I think I genuinely, intentionally am putting it off. It's still on my mind. I still want to do it. But the reason I, ha- I can't yet is because to do that costs time and money. And if I'm going to spend my money, you know, buying a banjo and then taking lessons and then taking the time to learn the banjo, you don't just like pray and then say amen and you just ding 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 and he teaches you how to play it. It takes a lot of time. And so um, I have money and time that I would have to spend. And right now what I have done is said, it is not worth it to me to spend my time and my money to do that. I'd rather spend my time and money doing something else. I've got three kids at home. I'd rather spend time with them. I have a wonderful wife. I'd rather spend time with her. I'd rather spend money on doing these other things. And so someday soon, well, soon, maybe 20 years, I am going to know how to play the banjo. But right now, I don't really value it. I value other things more. You can tell how you value by something, by what you're willing to sacrifice for it, can't you? I'm not willing to sacrifice the money and the time to learn banjo right now. There's other things that are more important to me than that. But what Christ is talking about in this text is that you can tell how much you value something by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. It's surreal a little bit to hear that last bit about Jesus came to draw division even even within the home, and we'll talk about what that means. It's a little surreal to hear your daughter reading scripture and reading that. Here's the question we want to start with today. Did Jesus come to bring peace on earth? The reason this is the question we're going to ask is because Jesus in verse 51 asks and says, do you think I have come to bring peace on earth? The angels, when he was born, sure said, um, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And that was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Prince of Peace would be the Messiah, the one who would come. Peter later summarizes the gospel message, the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself with his disciples says he's going to leave his own unique peace with the disciples when he leaves. It seems to be all about peace. Paul later says you can have the peace that passes all understanding. Like you just hear peace, 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 peace. And so if the answer would be, um, if when Jesus says, do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? The natural response would be to go, well, of course you did. The problem is Jesus's answer. Do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. 
just said all that other stuff about peace, and now Jesus says this, what's going on? The simplest way to understand it is this. What Christ came to do is to give us a peace that we cannot have otherwise on our own. It is a peace that you and I can have with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. It is the vertical piece in our relationship with him. But what Jesus does not promise, and in fact, in passages like this, he says you probably won't have this, is he does not promise peace with everybody around you. In fact, the whole point of what he's saying in this text, I came to cast fire, I have a baptism to be baptized with. He's saying there is judgment coming. There is a line drawn in the sand and you're gonna have to pick a team. And so the very essence of Christ coming, of Christ going to the cross, of dying and rising, says you're going to have to pick a team. People might not like that because we kind of like hanging out in this muddled gray area in between. The Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to we who are being saved, it is the power of God. But here's the question, is because you know in the Bible that Christians are supposed to be the most gracious, most loving people. And so it would seem that if we are being loving, 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 that everything should go fine, that we should have complete harmony with other people because we're so loving, everybody would want to be around us. How's that working out? Have you had circumstances where you have said, I am extending love, I am extending grace, you don't deserve it, you haven't earned it, but I am doing that out of obedience to Christ and the relationship can't be salvaged? Of course. And the reason that that happens is because that love has to be received. And you can say, I love you, I love you, I'll be gracious, I'll be gracious, and someone else may not receive it. One of the things that happens is we often confuse love with harmony. That if if I'm going to love people, that means we should be 100% in harmony at all times. We confuse love with harmony. I mean, think about the the great commandment. Um, What Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is what Christians are called to be. It really is unique to Christians. We had some people coming over last night and uh, we're sitting around the campfire and we were, let's just say, talking about the way of the world right now. And we wasn't real upbeat. I'll just leave it at that. About, uh, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and one of the guys said, uh, yeah, you know, the hard thing as Christians is we're called to love these people. And we all kind of looked at him and said, shut up. <laughs> I like my way better. Can we love people who advocate, even if they advocate for horribly unbiblical ideas? Can we love people maybe if they've caused us or loved ones very personal hurt? That's what Christians are called to do. We're called to love everybody. In fact, one of the things I love about the story of um, when Peter denies Jesus. If you remember the story, Jesus is saying, one of you is gonna deny me, and Peter's like, one of those fools is gonna deny you, but not me. They might go astray. I will never go astray. I will follow you to death. And Jesus says, mm, okay, Peter, you're gonna deny me three different times. And you're gonna do it in this little window before the morning, before you hear the rooster. He says, you're gonna do it in this time frame." And he goes, ah, that'll never happen. 
And you know the story that, of course, it happened exactly how Jesus said. Like the first one, you would think that he would go, oh my gosh, I shouldn't do the second one. Like you got a couple mulligans and then the third one is like, that's the thing, right? And he denied him, denied him, denied him three different times. And it is at the time, he has just said he'll never deny him, even if everybody else does, he said it publicly. And Jesus going through one of the most trying times of his life, one of his best buds does exactly what Jesus said he was going to. Denied him three times. And you may or may not know this. After that happened, did you know that Jesus and Peter locked eyes? Shows up in Luke's gospel. It's just a real quick statement that says Jesus looked at Peter. The reason you and I would make a bad Jesus is I know what our looks would be like. Told you. Remember what we talked about, Peter? Yeah, you should feel guilt right now can't be what Jesus was doing. Jesus was going to the cross to die for sin and shame and guilt, so no way is the thing he's going to do with Peter be to cast sin and shame and guilt on him. This is a look of love. It's breaking Jesus's heart what Peter has done. This is a look of compassion, and what we see happens later is he goes to Peter, and he restores Peter and takes him, and he's one of the most influential people in the early church. Jesus looks at someone who betrayed him and said he never would in the hardest time and gives him a look that says, in spite of that, I love you. You know, the mission statement here at Rockland, we say all the time, connecting all generations to Jesus, but the full statement, you can see it out there. I just don't say it because I don't think anybody remembers it. Um, Connecting all generations to Jesus, and then it has two statements that go in tandem. As we stand for the truth of the gospel, show God's grace to all people, and raise up the next generation to do the same. Right now, we live in a world that says you can stand for truth or you can be gracious. But, if you, but sometimes they'll say the truth of what God has revealed is inherently unloving. So you need to stop, you need to stop pretending it's, it's right. And so you got to choose. Are you going to be truthful or are you going to be gracious? Or you can just be gracious, which means you don't stand for anything, and you just go, I just love you and love you and love you and love you. And that kind of plays with the world, but it's not too pleasing to God. And so we go to one of two extremes. It's all about truth, and I don't care about you. Or it's, I just love you so much, and I'm not going to tell you truth. And we say, this is, that's garbage. It's not even a 50-50. It's a 100%, 100%. It is, I'm going to pour out grace and love upon you, and I'm going to continue to stand for the truth of what is true. That's how Christians are supposed to walk as we walk down this line. And it is easy. I get that sometimes to go to say the truth, it's not going to go well. I I understand that pull, but let me show you what Jesus did. There's a, a passage in Mark chapter 10, and it says, As he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he starts into his answer. He says, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And this man is probably going, ooh, oh, good, good. Because he answers and he goes, oh, teacher, I've done all these things and I've kept them from my youth. And Jesus uh, is trying to show him that he's coming to him and going, here's my resume of how good I am. And Jesus is gonna go, I'm gonna sort of hit you where it hurts for a minute because you're not perfect. In fact, what he's about to say to him, this guy that's coming to him going, what must I do to be saved? Essentially, Jesus is going to say something that says it's going to send him off disheartened. Well, what does Jesus say? 
Teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. And Jesus looked at him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possession. Isn't it interesting that like if this had just said Jesus heard him and heard he was doing really good and so he just said, hey, attaboy, you're doing great, close enough, keep trying to do really good. Like we'd go, ah, that's nice. That's nice that he would kind of give him a word of encouragement in that moment. But this guy is coming to him and saying, what do I do for eternal life? And the most loving thing Jesus can do is to share the truth with him, even though he went away disheartened. In fact, I left out a little bit of this interaction. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Keep all these commandments. Oh, good, I've kept all these from my youth. And then it says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And he left disheartened. It was a loving act that Jesus graciously spoke truth to him. Paul Washer says, your best friend in the world is the one that will tell you the most truth. But if we're gonna tell the truth, how in the world do we keep the peace? If we're charged to go, do, like that's what happens is we go, I just won't talk about these things because then it'll keep the peace uh, around me. Well, I'll remind you of Romans 12 that says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all. Sometimes you will offer peace. Sometimes you will agree to disagree, but you are, you're still fine to be in fellowship and relationship with this person. But they're gonna back away. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. But listen to the words of Martin Luther who said, never sacrifice truth on the altar of peace. Never sacrifice truth on the altar of peace. If we were in the shallow end, Jesus is fixing to move us into the deep end right here. Let me show you what he does because the premise here is you can tell how much you, um, you can tell how much you value something by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. And look what he says next. He says in verse 52, from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He's saying the message of the gospel, there are gonna be some that receive it and there's going to be some that don't. And at some point, it could even go to the very heart of family and pull families apart. And for many of you, this is not hypothetical. I, I know because I sit with you and I talk with you. This, this is not hypothetical. And what Jesus is doing, he's not saying family's not important. That's ridiculous. The inventor of family says, I don't like families. He, he is saying it's important. And actually what he's doing by kind of pressing there a little bit is to say, I'm going to take something that is incredibly important but I want to show you something that is even more important. And he's saying, it's me. You know who gets this? <clears throat> you ever um, seen a baptism in a Muslim-majority country? You know any Muslims that have converted to Christianity? Because there's some places in the world where when a Muslim converts to Christianity, um, they are dead to their family. 
You go some places in the world and um, people will, you know, baptisms, we love celebrating and we love celebrating what God is doing. There's places in the world where baptism has to be, don't tell anybody, we're going to sneak to this place. Christians are going to gather and we're gonna say, you have come to faith in Jesus Christ and make a public demonstration of that. It has to be done secretively for fear of what the government will do if they find out. Nobody watches one of those baptisms. Or if you, I, I've got a buddy that was Muslim and converted, and he, he tells me stories of what his parents did, what his community did when he came to faith. In that moment, it is saying, there's nothing more precious to me than my relationship with Christ. My family harmony is not even worth compromising. My job's not worth compromising. My money, my lifestyle, my dreams, or God forbid in America today, my feelings get compromised. Like, anyway, I won't go there. Um, your comfort, your freedom, anything like that. Like, there's nothing I'm going to compromise. There's nothing that I want that I want. I value more than my relationship with Christ. But when the rubber meets the road, sometimes it's hard to choose. You know, the, um, I get to do a lot of weddings. The number one way that I see young people meet today, some of them are here, by the way, they meet, do you know? It's not at church. It's online. I, we met at a ministry, and so I was like, well, she's at a ministry, and we all, we got to know each other a little bit, so we kind of assume we believe all these different things. And so, uh, and we, we do, and we did, and so we were married, yay. And, um, but I, like, I talked to young people, and there's this terror in them of, not all of them, but this, like, there's this girl that I like, and so we'll start dating, and so we'll start talking, and you're, like, investing this time, and then all of a sudden, she says something crazy, and you're like, oh, dang it, I gotta start over. And so do you know what's happening? And I got to tell you, at first I was like, really meeting online? Like a dinosaur, I don't know. And, um, and now I'm like, that's actually kind of genius. You know why? Because you can just write out everything about you and somebody can swipe right or left or whichever one it is. I don't know. They can be like, okay, I like all that. And they can affirm it before you even like get going into the relationship. And so here's the thing. I'm not saying you, everybody should or anything, but here's one of the things I've noticed about this as I've talked with people is um, if, you're in a, if you're wanting to date somebody and you go, my, my pull in me is going to pull me to say, I want to be with this man or this woman. And so it would be easy if you're just kind of starting out and talking and talking and talking, then something jumps in that could, should be a red flag to just go, uh, maybe that's not that big a deal. I've already invested all this time. I'm sure I'll just change her when we're married. That'll work. That always works out really well, you know. <laughs> and if you just lay it all out ahead of time, you, you don't have to worry about as much of that. So there's a part of me going, I, I get the pull to go, I could put me in a spot where I might instead compromise instead of standing. And so some, to some degree, you can sort of take some of that out. I don't know if it's a good idea or not, but it's working for people. You can tell how much you value something by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. And if you get this pull to go, I really, really want this relationship, that could pull me to compromise something about my faith. I want to just close with this. I want to just give a word of encouragement. Because um, I also know about our congregation that there are several of you that have really had to stand in different situations. And you've said, I have been stood for the truth. I think I have been gracious I think, through the entire thing, and I had to pay a price. Or maybe it's this thing, and maybe it's pulling family apart or friends. 
to the parent who has said no to that extra sport or that extra thing or that extra activity for the sake of spiritually forming your child. Well done. To the friend that has told their friend hard truths that maybe made your stomach turn when you had to go talk to him about it because that's not you. You hate, maybe you hate conflict, but it was for their good. And maybe now they don't invite you to all the stuff on the block, even though you were truthful and gracious, and that's hard. Good for you. For the kid maybe in school that stood for truth and tried to be gracious, even though it may have cost them a lot. Way to go. To people in the workplace that have lost a job, lost a promotion, lost respect, lost something because they have said, I cannot bend. It is not worth it to me to bend on this. I love God too much. Way to go. And if this may be an encouragement to you, I know Christians is one of the things about what I get to do and I get to have these conversations. I know Christians that have stood in the moment and it just wrecked the peace with friends, with family, with loved ones. But I can tell you stories sometime that it might be years later that somebody comes back and says, thank you. I have straight up had people say, why are you the only one that told me that? And so maybe if that's you, if you're in a spot where you're going, I'm kind of in that little waiting of hoping they come back, we'll just pray right along with you that they do. And when they do come back, please don't you dare give them a I told you so kind of look. When they come back, kill the fattened calf. My son that was gone is now home again. And welcome them in. And maybe if you don't hear anything else, I told you that um, you can tell how much you value something by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. What we are about to do is to be reminded of God's great love for us. How great is his love for us? What was he willing to sacrifice? He was willing to have his own son give his very body to demonstrate love. He had his son pour out his blood that we might understand his great love for us. And so as we come forward today, if there's nothing else that's stuck this morning, please come forward this morning. And maybe if I just keep telling you over and over and over, it'll start to sink in. God loves you. You tell the value of something by what you're willing to sacrifice. And he withheld not his own son to demonstrate his love for us.